0: Let me invite you to take your Bibles. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 38. Psalm 38. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you, or at least there should be. And if you don't have a Bible that you own, please take that one home with you. We would love for you to have that as our gift. Because we do think the Bible is unlike any other book. And we think that there is life to be found in the God who reveals himself through it. As you're flipping to Psalm 38, I I wanted to answer another question. Uh, Some of you may think that we're just not very good at counting the way you're like, haven't we skipped a couple psalms along the way? Yes. That was not an accident or an oversight. We've skipped a few because, honestly, they were just so long that right now we're trying to figure out the best way to approach dealing with them because they're so long. Do we break them in shorter chunks? Do we Try to cover them in one sermon, but right now we're sticking mainly to ones that feel like we can preach them sufficiently and well in the time we have. So we haven't, we're not skipping them forever, we're just skipping them for now, and we'll come back. So Psalm 38, hopefully you're there with me. Hear the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me. And your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh. Because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones. Because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes... It also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning as I thought about how to set this up, here's what... Here's what came into my mind back in the days of old way way yesteryear I'm talking about the times before there was streaming music that wasn't that long ago that's kind of man okay let's try this again back in the days of old before there was streaming music you couldn't just play any song you wanted nowadays you want to hear a song you go find that song and you can keep it with you, put it on your phone, you can take it wherever you want to go. Just the song you want, the song you like. But back then, back in the days of CDs, cassettes, records, if you don't know what some of those are, young people, ask the people around you. You had to go and you had to buy whole albums. Even if you just, you might have heard one song on the radio and said, ooh, I like that, but you couldn't just go buy that song. You had to go buy an album. Or maybe you'd wait till you heard one or two off there, and you think, okay, I like enough to invest the money in this cassette tape. Now, even though you'd only heard one or two of the songs, there were usually maybe 10, 11 others on there that you didn't really know until you bought them. And every now and then, you'd go home, you'd listen through the album, and one of those songs that weren't as well-known would surprise you and it would quickly become one of your favorites, even though you'd never heard of it. Sometimes it was just the way it sounded, you like the beat or whatever, but often it was because the words communicated a message that just grabbed your heart and gave a voice to something that you were going through. Maybe it was you were going through a breakup and there was a song that talked about heartache. You were going through starting a family and so there was a song about that that just really put a smile on your face. A song about saying goodbye to someone you love. Whatever you were going through, it helped you feel it. Well, after spending time in this psalm this week, I think Psalm 38 is that kind of psalm. It's not as well known as some of your other psalms. Everybody knows Psalm 23, 51, 103. You can go on. No, Psalm 38 is like one of those other tracks on the album. One of the deep cuts. But as we listen to it together this morning, I think we'll find it saying something to each of us that we need to hear. Something that connects with something that we all go through. Part of the reason I think Psalm 38 connects so well with us is because it actually fits in two different categories of Psalms, not just one. First, Psalm 38 is a lament. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer that lays out all the hurt and hardship that we're facing. It just puts it all out there. It tells God just how bad things really are in the midst of our suffering. And as a lament, Psalm 38 doesn't hold back on showing the pain that David is in. But Psalm 38 is also a penitential psalm. Now, if you remember, I used that word back in Psalm 32, and we said a penitential psalm is one where the singer confesses and grieves over his own sin. So in Psalm 38, David is both telling God how bad he's hurting, but also admitting that it's his own fault. I wonder if you've ever been in a place like that, where you're hurting and in pain, but in your moments of honesty, you also know that you're not really an innocent sufferer. If so... How do we pray in times like that? How do we ask God for help and for healing while at the very same time admitting we're guilty before him? Well, that's what Psalm 38 shows us how to do. David's going to show us both the horrors of the pain sin causes and point us to the healing Jesus brings. He's going to model how to pray both honestly about the toll sin takes on us, but also how to pray hopefully about the salvation God gives to us. So here's how we're going to break down Psalm 38. If you're taking notes, we're going to see that sin leaves David first hurting and overwhelmed in verses 1 to 8. Hurting and overwhelmed. Just a disclaimer, we're going to spend the most time there. So it's going to be imbalanced, so don't freak out when you look at your watch. Second, sin leaves David alone and attacked in verses 9 to 14. 1 to 8, hurting and overwhelmed. 9 to 14, alone and attacked. And then finally, yet because of God his Savior, we see that David is also, in verses 15 to 22, humbled and hopeful. Hurting and overwhelmed, alone and attacked, humbled and hopeful. Okay, that's where we're going. So let's look at the first section. In the first section of his song, David's going to show us how the pain of his sin has left him hurting and overwhelmed. And as we look through it, there's three really important things for us to notice in these eight verses about the pain David is feeling. We're going to look at the severity of his pain, the cause of his pain, and the source of his pain. So let's skip verses one and two for a moment and come back to them. Let's drop down to verse three and begin reading so we can see the severity of his pain. How bad is it really? Well, first he says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sins. So here, David, right out of the way, is saying, I'm in utter agony. His body is racked with pain and he hurts all over. His whole body is sick and there is no health in his bones. When it says there's no health in it, it's the same word it's the often translated peace. It's shalom. There's no shalom in my body. It is not the way it ought to be. Everything feels off and broken and dysfunctional and it hurts. And this isn't just skin deep suffering. This is internal underneath the surface where he's feeling pain. He goes on in verse four, for my iniquities have gone over my head, like a heavy burden; they are too heavy for me. David's using two different pictures here that help us feel his pain. First, he says his sins have gone over his head. Now, he doesn't just mean they're stacked up that high, although that's true. Instead, that language of going over his head—that language is usually talked about with waves that come. Washing over you or floods that come crashing down over your head. So David says his iniquities or his sins are like that. Now this made me think of when well, we were just on vacation. We went to the shore of Lake Michigan. And when we went there, you know, we walked along the edge and put our, put our feet in just a little bit. Because it was freezing cold and that's about as far as you should go. But we put our feet in the water and that was fine. You know, it was kind of neat. But if you were to keep going out and venture further and further into the lake, it gets rough. There are big waves that can knock you for a loop. And so maybe at first, David's sin felt a little bit like that, like, like he was just splashing his feet in the shallows. Ah, it's not so bad. But then as he kept going on, now his sin threatens to knock him down and sweep him under in its current. Then he switches pictures. He shows these waves crashing over us, but then he switches from waves to a weight. He says his sins are a burden that he's forced to carry around. But this burden, he can't do it. It's too heavy for him. It's like if you imagine getting the biggest backpack you can find and then just loading it up with rock after rock after rock. This, this weight is crushing him, And it's dragging him down. He can't keep lugging it around. And in both of these pictures, we're meant to see that David is completely overwhelmed by his sin. Sometimes we use that that word too quickly. Oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Often we're not. It's just a little bad. But David is utterly overwhelmed here. He is looking at his sin and he sees it as a wave that he cannot escape from under. And it's a weight that he cannot carry. He goes on about his pain then in verse 5. He says, My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. This gets kind of, kind of gross here. His wounds smell and look awful. They stink and fester. That's a graphic and vivid image of just how gross this is. He says that he's completely bent over in pain. All day long he's filled with grief and sadness His body feels like it's on fire as it burns with a feverish heat. He's weak and crushed. And the picture he's giving us is of someone who is completely exhausted. Again, not just like, oh, I'm a little tired. had a long day at work. I mean, completely to the point of collapsing, exhausted. And he groans because his heart is in such anguish. What David's doing is giving us a picture of just how severe his pain is. And you can see this is, not, this is not a light and casual prayer in Psalm 38. This is not a, hey God, just checking in, hope you're doing okay. My day is fine. When people pray like that, I'm like, you've never read the Psalms. When David prays, this is the earnest prayer of a man in deep pain. And as we read this and we see how bad it is, we can't help but think, Man, surely, surely God will take away this guy's pain, right? That sounds awful. But look at what David says is the source of his pain. Go back up to verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. The source of David's pain is God. God is the one doing it. Why does David pray to the Lord in verse 1? Because in verse 2 he knows it's the Lord's arrows that have gone down into him. It's the Lord's hand that is pressing down on him. Then in verse 3, why does he say there's no soundness in his flesh? Because of your indignation. David is saying here that the pain he's experiencing is because of God's anger toward him. The source of his pain is God. Do you see that? We can't run past this. It's vital to understanding the psalm. But it doesn't stop there. Because even though David knows God is the one bringing about the pain in his life, look at what he says is the cause of, of his pain or the reason for it. Did you catch that was in there too? Three times in verses 3 to 5 he uses that phrase because of. And each time he tells us how much pain he's in and then he says that the pain is because of something. The first reason was because of your indignation, but look at the other two. First in verse 3 he says there is no health in his bones because of My sin. So it's not just as simple. We can't stop and say, oh, he says it's because of your anger, God. Now he says, no, no, no. It's because of my sin. David is admitting and acknowledging that the reason he's suffering the way he is is because of his sin. He is the cause of his own pain. In verse 4, he says the reason there's no health in his bones is because His iniquities have gone over his head and are a heavy burden. Verse 5, he says his wounds stink and fester. Why? Because of my foolishness. Now when David talks about foolishness here, this has nothing to do with intelligence or lack thereof. You can be incredibly intelligent and still be a fool. Because in the Bible, foolishness has to do with living in God's way. The same word for foolishness, if you flip over to Proverbs, you'll see it all over the place. Fool, foolishness, folly. And it's always contrasted with wisdom. And we see in Proverbs and in Psalms that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So foolishness is the opposite of fearing the Lord. So David knows here, he's saying that his pain is caused by choosing to live in ways that don't come from a fear of the Lord. He is living in ways that don't flow out of a trust and an obedience to the Lord. It's his own sin that has landed him in this awful suffering. So friends, here's what we need to hear from David in these verses. We need to hear that our sin has real and painful consequences. And not just one day. I think sometimes we limit the consequences of sin to judgment when we die. And that is the worst, but not the only. Our sin has destructive effects here and now in our lives that cause lots of pain. As we see in the psalm, pain that's physical, mental, emotional. Sin wreaks havoc and leaves a trail of agony, exhaustion, and life-crushing burdens in its wake. So what do we do with this? David knows that the pain he's experiencing is from God, but it's because of his sin. He knows that he's guilty before God, and he doesn't deny that he deserves discipline. This is really important to catch back in verse 1. In verse 1, David is not asking God to not rebuke him or to not discipline him. That's not what he's asking. He's asking God not to rebuke him in his anger and not discipline him in his wrath. That's where the emphasis falls. How do we know? Because David knows that God's rebuke and God's discipline are good things. And are actually part of his love for us. David welcomes rebuke and discipline. He even says in Psalm 141, this is David speaking, Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my heart not refuse it. He's like, you got a rebuke or a discipline that will help me? Please bring it. That is a kindness to me. Later, David's son Solomon would write in Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Same word as rebuke. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. See, in verse 1, David knows he's guilty and so he welcomes God's discipline. But he wants God to discipline him in love as a son and not in wrath as an enemy that's his prayer that's his prayer there's a little uh superscript up above it says for the memorial offering that should better be translated just as for remembrance and the idea was that so that this was a prayer to pray to god to call on him to remember his goodness his kindness that you were one of his and so david's saying remember Remember, God, I'm your son. Discipline me in love the way a father disciplines a son. Don't discipline me in wrath the way you pour it out on your enemies. This is really important. So how do we, how do we fit this first section together? Because there's some heavy ideas here. And I'm going to try to be careful so that we don't walk away hearing something that we're not saying. But how do we fit these all together? we got three ideas we have the truth that David is experiencing deep pain. This man is suffering, and it's hard, and it hurts. We've got the truth that God is the source of that pain. And we've got the truth that David's sin is the cause of that pain. So, How do we do with this? Well, to put them together, we must remember what the goal of God's discipline is. He tells us, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. God brings pain into our lives to do two things. First, to make us feel how awful our sin really is so that we'll turn from it. And second, to bring us back to him for healing. Think of David. Let me illustrate this with David. Don't you think... His physical pain described here helped him get a better picture of how dangerous and destructive his sin was. This was like a master class in the deadliness of sin. David doesn't just know in theory that sin was hurting him. It wasn't just something he read in a book or heard in a talk. Sin can be bad for you. Okay. No, no, no. David's feeling how bad it can be. The pain that's racking his body is a reminder. It's it's actually just a glimpse of how bad it is. And sometimes, sometimes that's what suffering in our life is meant to do as well. To give us just a glimpse of the pain of our sin. Not always, but sometimes. We're going to come back to that. But God doesn't just send it so that David will feel the pain of his sin. He also sends pain to bring us back to him for healing. You see this idea in Hosea 6, where it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Do you hear what the logic of that? It says, he tore and he struck down... So that they would return to him and he would heal and bind up. One of the best examples of this idea, though, is in Leviticus 26. And I want you to go ahead and flip there if you have a Bible. Leviticus 26. We're not going to read all this, but I want you to be able to scan your eyes over it and see what I'm talking about. Leviticus 26 What's going on in Leviticus 26 is God is outlining, he first outlines all the blessings that he has in store for his people if they will obey his covenant. And man, is it good. He just blows their minds all the good he has in store for them. But then he also outlines all the painful disciplines he would bring if they disobeyed. I want you to see this for yourselves. So look down, I'm going to start in verse 14 and kind of skip around a little bit. Verse 14, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And he just goes on and on. I'm not going to read all the things, But it gets bad. God says, I'm going to do this if you don't listen. Drop down to verse 21. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will do these things. Skip down to verse 23. And if by this, catch that word, discipline, you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And he lists some more things. Finally, in verse 27, but if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. Do you see the progression? This is like, I mean, this is Parenting 101, is it not? If you don't listen, this is going to happen. If you still keep disobeying, this worst punishment is going to happen. If you still won't listen, this is going to happen. But what's the point of it all? It's not just to make their lives miserable. The whole point is, so you turn back to me. If, the, if you turn back after the first discipline, discipline stops. Because that was its purpose. But he says, but if, it doesn't, if you don't get it, I'll send more. If you don't get it, I'll send more. If you don't get it, I'll send more. Because I'm committed to getting you back. In fact, if you keep reading down there, skip all the way down to verse 40. After he's just spent, I can't do the math real quick, lots of verses saying how bad it's going to get. Verse 40 says, but, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walk contrary to them, skip down to verse 42, then, so if you confess, then I will remember my covenant. He said, I will remember what I promised and I will do good to you. The whole point is that this long chapter is saying, I will do what it takes, my people, to bring you back. And if that means painful discipline, I'll do it. And when you, as soon as you turn, as soon as you confess, I'm ready and waiting to say, I remember, you're mine and I'm yours. And I promise I'll do you good. That's what David knows. So why does God send these painful disciplines? To turn his people back to him. He's showing them the hurt and heartache that living apart from him causes. And if they confess, the discipline has served its purpose and he remembers their covenant. So here's what I want you to hear. Friends, God loves us enough to send temporary pain into our lives to make sure we don't miss out on eternal pleasure. God loves you enough to do that. He's willing to send temporary pain into your life to make sure, to guard you, to keep you, to make sure that you don't miss out on eternal pleasure. His pain is protective. It keeps us. And his pain is purposeful. His purpose is to keep us close to him, the source of all good and joy and peace. We know that there is a way that seems right to us, but leads to death, right? Discipline is God's putting roadblocks in the way that seems right to us, but leads to death, so that when we hit them, we turn around and say, can't go that way, and we go back to walking in the paths of righteousness that lead to life. That's what discipline is. Now, the one more thing that I we need to clarify here before moving on, and like I said, the other two sections are much briefer, is the link between sin and physical health problems. Because the Bible has two important things to us, two important things to say to us about this. First, the Bible clearly tells us that sickness and physical suffering is not always linked to sin. You cannot draw a straight line and say, anytime I see sickness or suffering, or anytime I'm sick and suffering, there must be a sin behind it. The Bible does not allow us to go there. Job was afflicted with painful sores, and he was afflicted precisely because he was righteous. In John 9, when Jesus' disciples asked him, hey, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Did he sin or did his parents? Jesus said, it was not because either of them sinned, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So first, the Bible says you, it is sin and sickness are not always linked. On the other hand, the Bible also gives us categories where sin does cause Physical suffering. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, you've got the church at Corinth sinning against one another as they take the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, that is why your sin, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Whoa. Elsewhere, James tells the church in James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Even there, do you see that word if? It's saying he hasn't necessarily committed sins. But if sins are behind his sickness, both his sickness will be healed and his sins will be forgiven. So, The Bible warns us, please hear this. The Bible warns us against thinking that sin and suffering are always linked, but also warns us against denying that they're never linked. Okay? And here in Psalm 38, they appear to be linked, and David needs healing from both the pain of his suffering and the guilt of his sin. All right, now we're going to do these last two much quicker. Physical pain is not the only kind of pain sin brings. In 9 to 14, we see that it causes pain in relation to other people and can leave us feeling both alone and attacked. Look at verse 9. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Here David pours out his heart to God and tells him, You know, God. You know what my heart is longing for. Even when I can't put it into words in the midst of this agony, you hear the wordless prayers that are my sighs. Everything is leaving him, he says. His strength has failed him. The light in his eyes is gone. And on top of all that, his friends have abandoned him and left him alone because of what he's going through. Even his family, the ones who are closest to him, what does it say? They now keep far away. Everyone has kept their distance saying, we don't want anything to do with what's going on in your life, man. And this is often true in suffering, isn't it? Especially suffering that's caused by our own sin. It can push other people further and further away and make them not want to be near us. One writer said, it's ironic in situations like this that the more a person needs human support, the less he naturally attracts it. Many of us have been on the receiving end of that, but almost all of us have seen people around us like that. We know, you, you know that person that's going through it. You know that their life is a mess and they are hurting Deeply. And maybe it's because, maybe it's their fault. And so when we see that, we say, I'm not, mm -mm, that's too messy. That's, I don't want to get involved in that. So I'm going to keep my distance. Friends, aren't you glad the gospel doesn't work like that? That Jesus is drawn to us in our need and comes to us in the mess caused by our sin. David goes on in verse 12 to show us that his sin has left him not just alone, but attacked. Look there. He says, those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. In other words, David's weakened condition because of his sin has left him vulnerable to those who want to do him harm. Rather than have compassion on him, his enemies see this as a perfect opportunity to bring him down. So they set their traps and they seek to destroy him. So, how will David respond? How will he respond to those who are seeking to hurt him and do him harm? Verse 13: But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. In other words, David is not rushing to his own defense, he doesn't retaliate. It's not that they accuse him of this and he says, Oh, yeah, well, you know what you did? There is no self protection. And how can he respond this way? I mean, what's the alternative to protecting himself? Well, that brings us to our last section. Look at verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer for I said only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips this is why David can keep quiet to his opponents that word but at the beginning of verse 15 it should actually be for i don't know why they made it but it's for because this is the reason it's the reason David doesn't seek to defend himself is because he has a better defender he has a better savior It's for the Lord that he waits. And when it talks about waiting here, it doesn't mean some vague hope that God might do something. Let's wait and see. That's not what he means. This waiting is a confident anticipation that God will act. Not a hope that he might. Not an if, but a when. David knows that God will answer his prayer to not let his enemies rejoice over him. So even though he knows his sin deserves God's discipline, he also knows that God will save him from his enemies and restore him. He has solid hope in the God of his salvation. But he's not just hopeful, he's also humbled. Now he he knows he needs a savior. Verse 16, For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Through the painful mercy of God's discipline, David now sees his sin and confesses it. He humbly admits his wrongdoing, he doesn't hide his sin. Instead, he brings it into the light. And he doesn't just admit his wrongdoing. He admits his weakness. He admits that he's not strong enough to overcome the foes that he faces. His enemies, he says, are both many and mighty. And even though David pursues what is good, these enemies seek to repay him evil for good. In other words, he desperately needs a savior, which is why he prays in verses 21 and 22 Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. That's how David prays. But I want to end by bringing this all together. Because I never want us to lose sight that our series is called The Songs of Jesus. Because they're both about Jesus, and these songs were sung by Jesus. David might have penned this, but it was for Jesus. So let's walk through this and see what does this song sound like when it's sung by Jesus. Well, what do we see? We see that Jesus experienced the full agony of Psalm 38. There was no soundness in his flesh because of God's anger. There was no health in his bones because of our sin. See, when Jesus sang verse 3, he had no sin of his own. But for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And when it says he made him to be sin, sometimes I think we leave that as a vague notion That he made him to be the concept of sin. He made him to be the idea of sin. No, he made him to be your sins and my sins. There were real, specific sins attached to real people with real lives, real hurts, real struggles, real desires. And Jesus became their sins on their behalf. And on the cross, all the sins of God's people were put on Jesus. We keep looking down, he stood before the crashing waves of our iniquity, and he carried the heavy burden of our sins. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, Jesus felt pain from God. This is why it matters that you see the source in here because Jesus also felt pain that was done by God. He was smitten by God. He felt God's arrows pierce him. He felt God's hand crushing down on him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he was wounded so that we might be healed. Earlier, we sang this truth, but oh, don't you love it? Now he has come to make a way, and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. That's what Jesus came to do, friends. He came to heal us. So do you need healing today? That's why Jesus was wounded, so that you might be healed. Are your sins weighing you down and you can't carry them? Hear him say, come to me. All who are weary and exhausted and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Not only that, friends, Jesus knows what it's like to have his friends and companions and family stand far off. His disciples all ditched and abandoned him. And in Luke 23, 49, when Jesus was crucified, it says, all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things Jesus knows the pain of being utterly forsaken abandoned and alone but he was left all alone so that you never will be he will never abandon or forsake us friends even if everyone else does He was attacked and opposed by enemies that were many and mighty. They rendered him evil for good and accused him because he always followed after good. Those who sought his life constantly laid their snares and tried to trap him. They made plans to ruin him and devise treachery against him. And yet, despite all their accusations, he was like a mute man who did not open his mouth. And in his mouth there were no rebukes. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And when he died on that cross, instead of confessing his iniquity, he conquered ours. And instead of being sorry for his sin, he saved us from ours. When he died, Jesus absorbed all the wrath and anger of God that was due us so that now, friends, if you are in Christ, we know that any discipline we experience from God is never in wrath. Every discipline you will ever encounter, Christian, is never in wrath but always in love. God will never do anything to you out of his anger, Because he poured it out on Jesus. And after Jesus died and was buried, God did not let his enemies rejoice over him. God did not forsake him. Instead, he raised him up from the grave and made him our savior and great high priest. And what a savior he is. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, but he, my savior, makes me whole. When I'm tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, He, my strength, my victory wins. Even when my heart is breaking, He, my comfort, helps my soul. He has granted me forgiveness. I am His, and He is mine. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. And because Jesus is that kind of Savior, we can pray, like David in Psalm 38, both lamenting our suffering and confessing our sin, Because Jesus can heal them both. Friends, this is how guilty but redeemed people pray. Listen to how the prophet Micah says it in Micah 7. He says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Christian, we can pray that way. We can admit that we have sinned against the Lord and acknowledge that our sin may bring deserved painful discipline with it. But we can also pray in hope because the same God who disciplines us will plead our cause and he will bring us out to the light. We can wait with eager expectation for the God of our salvation to act and for Jesus to bring the healing we all need. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand as a group of people who need healing. Father, in a multitude of ways. And so we're thankful that you have given us your son to be wounded that we might be healed. To be crushed for us. To be pierced for us. To have all our iniquity laid on him so that we no longer have to carry it. He bore our burdens. And he suffered and died alone. He was alone so that none of us who are in him will ever be truly alone. God, would you use that reality to change us? Would you make us bold prayers, even when the midst of our suffering that we know we had a hand in causing? Would you help us not to run from you in shame, but run to you in hope, saying, God, yes, I have sinned, and I need your forgiveness, and I need you to help me get out of this suffering. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what a friend he is for sinners like us. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.